AgriTalk is brought to you by Full Scale from Helena. Grow Strong returns this season with breakthrough foliar nutrition from Full Scale at Reproduction. And by Propane. Propane is the energy for everyone, especially farmers. Environmentally friendly propane can fuel most anything on the farm. See how at propane.com. The stock market with the three key indices ended lower after a volatile week of trade last week. Corn, beans, and wheat futures all tried to move higher early this morning. Hogs did too, but it looks like price pressure persists. And as we all know, alliteration almost always annoys. From the genesis of a pecan sandy week via Farm Journal broadcast, this is AgriTalk. This morning, we'll begin with a conversation with Machinery Pete, Greg Peterson. Then it's Alan Hoskins from American Farm Mortgage and later pro farmer OG Jim Wiesmeyer. Right after the news, Brett Waltz from BAM WX. I'm phenomenal guest host Davis Michelson in for the, <laughs> get this, now vacationing Chip Flory. Thanks for tuning in to AgriTalk. Good morning, everyone. I hope your day is off to a swimming start. It's going to be a great day. It really is. Um, it, I'm excited to be here. We've got a heck of a show lined up for you. You know, the funny thing is, so Chip was in Orlando for a commodity classic, and apparently he decided to uh, go ahead and, and convert to a week of vacation down there in Orlando. Uh, l- let's hope we get him back at the other end. He'll make some appearances, sort of, throughout the week here. He did some uh, did some recording while down at Commodity Classic, has some things that he wanted to share with us. Uh, I believe that'll be tomorrow morning and Thursday morning, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, we'll have some guest hosts in the afternoons. I'm looking forward to that. And, uh, and I'll be filling in the gaps. I'm super excited, including this morning's show. Super, super timely. Uh, to have Alan Hoskins from American Farm Mortgage. I'm sure you heard that there was a bank collapse and, you know, the the bottom is going to fall out of the universe. We're going to see if Alan Hoskins shares that opinion, what insights he can give us on the Silicon, is it Silicon Valley Bank? I've got it in the news here. Um, on, on how big a deal that is, maybe he can just, I just, I just want to know what he knows about it, what his thoughts are. And, of course, we're going to check in with him on the general condition of the ag banking system at large. I think we'll find we're probably in pretty good shape. I want to ask him about defaults and panic and, you know, the scary stuff that might suggest there's trouble ahead. Uh, Jim Wiesmeyer, of course, we've, we've got to check in with him. And Machinery Pete Greg Peterson. I mean, it's Monday after all, so let's find out what <laughs> let's find out what's setting records in the machinery world uh, this week. Uh, it's going to be a great show. Hang around. And, of course, Brett Waltz right after the news. And let me throw this in. I have to say this. I have to say do not delay. Enter. It's that time of year. Enter your bracket today to be part of the 2023 Bracket Busters Challenge presented by Case IH. First prize, $1,000. Second prize is 500 Third walks away with 250 big ones. Head to agweb.com right now. Fill out your bracket. Don't delay. Enter your bracket today. It's fun when they rhyme, isn't it? All right. Let's get into the news here, and then we'll get to Brett Waltz with some weather stuff. Federal regulators announced that the government would ensure 
that all depositors of Silicon Valley Bank will have access to all of their money beginning today and that the losses sh should not be and would not be borne by American taxpayers. Amid the carnage, the Fed announced that it would set up an emergency lending program with approval from the Treasury to funnel funding to eligible banks and help ensure they were able to, quote, meet the needs of all their depositors. Federal regulators say that banks insured by the FDIC, that's most U.S. lenders, will be required to pay a tax to fund that measure. Regulators also announced that Signature Bank had been shut down by New York bank regulators to protect consumers on the financial system. That marked the third bank failure within a week. President Biden commented this morning, quote, Thanks to the quick action of my administration over the last few days, Americans can have confidence that the banking system is safe. Your deposits will be there when you need them, end quote. We'll get Alan Hoskins to weigh in on uh, on this whole deal here. The House Freedom Caucus put a major new ultimatum Friday on the debt ceiling, laying out a steep set of demands to earn their votes. The far-right group's planks include $130 billion in spending reductions. Chinese President Xi Jinping is planning to travel to Russia to meet with his counterpart Vladimir Putin as soon as next week. This according to Reuters. The Kremlin has repeatedly asked China to send weapons it can use in its war in Ukraine. China has so far declined. China and Russia declared their no-limits friendship in February 22. That was just weeks before Russia's invasion began. Beijing is tightening its military grip around crucial shipping lanes in the South China Sea. A Wall Street Journal reports China has become dominant in the region after gradually changing both the geography and balance of power in the area over the past decade. Saudi Arabia's Aramco Oil Company announced that it had record-breaking year for profits, bringing in $161.1 billion. That's a 46.5% increase for the company. Most of the profits will go to the Saudi government, which owns 95% of Aramco shares. Aramco said the profits were, quote, underpinned by stronger crude oil prices, higher volumes sold, and improved margins for refined products. Meanwhile, the U.S. Interior Department will announce it will write new regulations protecting nearly 13 million acres in the National Petroleum Reserve, part of Alaska, including ecologically sensitive areas that provide habitat for thousands of caribou and shorebirds. The move comes as the Biden administration is poised to approve a multi-billion dollar willow project on Alaska's North Slope as soon as today. Lots to talk about in today's show. Let's bring in Brett Waltz from BAM WX. Good morning, Brett. How are you, sir? Hey, I'm doing pretty good. Thanks for having me. Snow squalls in the Ohio Valley, <laughs> and one of those weather words that I love because it's, a, it's I don't know if it's even a word, nor'easter tomorrow. <laughs> Give yeah, us the details. I mean, it is, uh, it's very wintry. It's a good reminder that it is not quite spring yet because we've got these heavy bursts of snow. Kind of these snow squalls are, are quick hitting bursts of snow that produce low visibility for, you know, five or 10 minutes, puts down a coating to a half an inch of snow, and then it all melts off, you know, mm -hmm. 15, 30 minutes later. But the big story is really in the Northeast as we work into tomorrow, upstate New York, Massachusetts, Vermont, New Hampshire. We're talking about some areas they are getting a foot plus of snow followed by some very strong wind gusts. So uh, again, it just goes to show that winter is here for the time being within another system across parts of the Midwest later this week. 
Well, and uh, in the in a world where it seems like there are new weather words all the time, what, the atmospheric river continues yeah. to uh, plot a course over California. Yeah, for sure. Uh, it's going to continue to be very, very active out there on the West Coast, basically, basically the exact opposite of what they've dealt with here over the past couple of years. Uh, precipitation totals out there on the West Coast the next 10 days. Uh, parts of the West Coast of California could get three to five inches of additional moisture. Uh, just uh, honestly, a very concerning situation out there just yeah. in terms of how much rain they're getting all at once. Well, and let's let's end with a piece of good news. Last week of March, maybe a little warmer for the eastern eastern Corn Belt. Yeah, I, I do think after one other big cold shot we're going to get into this weekend, I do think that there's some hope on the horizon. At least if you're in the Ohio Valley, maybe into the the Great Lakes, maybe some slightly more seasonable conditions possible as we close out the last week of March. Outstanding, Brett Waltz, Bam WX. Thanks for your time this morning, buddy. Have a great week. Yep, you too. Thank you. Your pal Davis Michelson here on AgriTalk in for Chip Flory. We've got Machine Repeat coming up next. Then it's Alan Hoskins and Jim Wiesmeyer. An awful lot to talk about today. I'm glad that you've decided to spend some time with us today. Stick around through these words. AgriTalk. To produce higher yields and greater value at harvest, timing is everything. Full Scale from Helena helps soybeans reach their full potential with breakthrough foliar nutrition and reproduction. Full Scale delivers beneficial plant extracts and micronutrients with the added efficiency of ENC formulation technology. It gives your soybeans every opportunity to grow strong returns this season. Contact your local ag retailer or Helena representative to learn more about Full Scale. Always read and follow label instructions and check registration status before use. From powering irrigation engines to warming buildings, propane has always been a part of American farm life. Now, you can be a part of propane's future and save money at the same time. The Propane Farm Incentive Program is a research initiative that provides farmers up to $5,000 towards the purchase of new propane-powered equipment. In exchange, participants share performance data to make tomorrow's ag operations more cost-effective, more efficient, and more environmentally friendly with propane. Getting started is simple. Visit propane.com slash farm incentive to see if you're eligible. Machine repeat here, folks. This segment of AgriTalk brought to you by our friends at Dakota Ag Innovations, makers of Dakota Shine, the best way I've seen to fix faded paint. Go to dakotashine.com, call 888-996-7801. Crickets are singing and lightning bugs are floating on the breeze. Welcome back to AgriTalk, everybody. Your pal, Davis Michelson, here with you on your Monday morning so glad to be here. Glad you've chosen to spend some time with us. Uh, right now, let me bring in Machine Repeat, Greg Peterson. Good morning, Greg. How are you, sir? Hey, I'm doing well, Davis. How are you doing this this uh, Monday morning? Really good. Um, can I just ask you a broad question really quick? Um, Fire away. I, I know that you have, you've observed the cycles, the cyclical nature of buyer interest of of supply side sort of issues and things. We're heading toward planting season now, and I can't quite decide if there's a stronger case to be made for everybody's going to want to hurry up and get something done before planting season, or at this point, if it's, you know what, let's just get planting taken care of, let's get the spring stuff out of the way, and then we'll revisit later on in the summer. What's been your experience? Well, I would say... It's maybe shifted here the past year, just over a year, Davis. I think I 
I kind of arc back to the fall of 21 and the issues the supply chain was uh, bringing upon the sector in terms of parts availability and also mm-hmm. used units availability, whether that be a planter, tractor, combine. And it, that was the first time uh, the word scary, you know, that I ever brought yeah. that into describing the the farm equipment markets. And I think that's lingered. So I think that has pushed farmer mentality more towards being proactive now versus the wait and see uh, equipment wise. And it's sort of like, um, you almost don't have the luxury to sit and wait and see because yeah. if something happens, if it gets too wet or your window or the weather or whatever, and your planner or your drill or whatever has an issue, it that's why I've seen so much buying used equipment as a hedge mm. the last 18 months. And we've seen it on planners. We've seen it on combines. We've seen it on sprayers. Farm income has been good, you know, and there's certainly input pressure, no doubt. But uh, like I say, people got spooked. And yeah. when you need that sprayer or planner to go, you got to go. So, and, and we're actually seeing it reflected in the auction pricing here early in 23, I don't, I don't think there's much back off on the planning equipment side. Okay, so what you're saying ever so gently, so kindly, <laughs> is <laughs> if, if there's something you got to have be, for, for planning season, you're just going to have to suck it up and, and wade into the, uh, into the auction? Uh, yep, it's, the market is still about availability. It's yeah. totally a supply issue. I mean, planters and, you know, seed tenders, no-till drills. I mean, you can't get new. It's right. pretty sold out. So it doesn't matter that you don't like that. It's just, that's the way it is. Right. And it, you know, nobody likes to pay these rising, rising premiums at auction. But again, if the bottom line is you need the equipment you need to do what you got to do. Yeah. And you know, this is why I think if you pull back, which it's hard to do when the market's on fire and it has been on fire for two years, but it's, I think what it does for me, and I think for a lot of farmers, it, it, it makes you think differently long-term. Hmm. So when you hit hmm. different cycles in the down periods, I mean, we, we couldn't have imagined that this scenario would take place. Now you could argue, well, it was a hundred year pandemic and blah, you know, it's true, but you know, I think the thing that when you start piecing it apart, one of the issues here is there aren't as many dealers as there used to be mm-hmm. because of the huge consolidation that's been going on more rapidly. And that, again, it doesn't matter if you don't like that. It's just, that's the way it is now. So you have to be, and this is what I think farmers are doing. They're going, okay, well, these are the tea leaves. This is my plan. I have to execute my plan. So I just, I got to do what I got to do. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Um, maybe we'll have time. We can, we can talk some planting equipment and what that's looking like right now, price wise. Um, but let's get to your peak of the uh, pick of the week. If, am I seeing a Ferguson here? Well, not a Ferguson, but uh, a different color for sure. Okay. We're mixing it around. It's a versatile 305 oh, uh, okay. sold on a, yep. on a March 6th uh, online farm auction in Williamstown, Missouri by our friends at Sullivan Auctioneers. So I think it was a retirement sale for Dennis and Peggy Briscoe. Had some really nice stuff. <clears throat> but what I found interesting here, uh, Davis, is that these record prices we're seeing, uh, I'd say a couple of things. One, it's not just the low hour stuff, and it's not just, you know, John Deere and Case. It's all, we're seeing it all, it's all lifted. 
So they had a 2012 versatile 305 mechanical front, really nice tractor, only had 1,088 hours on it. You'd expect a premium, and they definitely got it. It brought 148,000 bucks. But again, my gig is how high is that? So when you go to machinerypeat.com, and again, all our auction prices are free. We want you folks to go out and look there and be armed with this info. The fact is the previous record was 124. And that was set April 20th of 21 on a sale in Menasha, Wisconsin. Uh, so again, when you when you beat a record by 24,000 bucks on a 11-year-old versatile, that I mean, that shows you how hot the market is right now. It's just unlike anything I've ever seen. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that versatile came out of Williamstown, Missouri. I have here in my notes uh, mm-hmm. some other interesting sale prices there from that uh, from that area. Yeah, that was a, a very good sale. Just a couple other highlights, folks. They had a 2013 John Deere 7230R tractor, 1300 hours, brought 173, solid price there. A planter, a Kinsey 3660. It was a 20 model, 12 row, 30 inch, 97,000 bucks. I have been seeing rising prices on good used 12 row planters. Kind of an interesting little uh, trend we've noted. Uh, a, a combine, a 2009 Gleaner. A66, I don't see many of those these days. 1,917 engine hours, that one for 59.5. Grain trailers are still smoking hot, Davis. They had a 2018 Wilson 39 foot, brought 52,000 bucks. So, I mean, five-year-old grain trailer for 50K, it's not even 40 foot. And uh, one other interesting tractor, which you don't see a ton of, a 1990 Deutz Alice 9150 mechanical front, just over 3,400 hours. That brought 30,500 bucks. So, again, Williamstown, Missouri, the uh, Briscoes, a nice a variety of equipment, and uh, it sold very well. Yeah, sounds like it. Um, let's let's get back to the planting equipment. Update us. What are you seeing lately? What are what are some of your uh, some of the recent results on on planting equipment? Yeah, it's been pretty interesting, Davis. I think again, if you go to our website, MachineRepeat.com, we've we've got I think over three hundred auction prices on planters here so far in twenty three. And if you widen it out to drills and uh, seed tenders and such, we've got over 600 prices. So a couple items of note that I've seen, March 3rd, a farm auction in uh, Marion, New York, really a nice sale. I think talked with Chip last week about some of the John Deere tractors on that sale setting records, mm-hmm. but they had a 2013 John Deere 1790, 1223 planter, brought 95,000 bucks. So 10 years old. Uh, a drill that really sold well, a John Deere 455 30-foot grain drill brought 66000 bucks. Oh. And then how about this? These little planters, these six rows, uh, mm-hmm. you get out into the Northeast, it's surprising what they can sell for. They had a John Deere 7200 six-row 30-inch brought 21000 bucks. Um, so that was, again, March 3rd in New York, the same day, March 3rd in uh, let's see if I can get the pronunciation right. Nascopic, Pennsylvania, farm auction. They had a 2015. Right. <laughs> we'll works, works for me. <laughs> 2015, John Deere, 1775 NT, 16 row, 2,200 acres on it, brought 110,000 uh, bucks. My friends, a trader, real estate and auction, had an interesting one recently, uh, February 25th, consignment sale, Columbia City, Indiana. Another 15 model, John Deere, 1775 NT. 12 row, again, 12 row, low acres brought 105. Uh, And then if we're on the topic of, again, widening out the planting sector, Davis, Mm -hmm. how about a record all-time price on an air drill? This was back December 13th, 2022, so a couple months ago, but it was a 
came out of uh, Baubels, North Dakota, our friends at the Steffes Group. It was a 20-model Borgo 3326-66, 66-foot air seater, and you had to dust off the checkbook for 571000 bucks on that baby. Whoa. And then we've also recently seen the highest auction price ever on a planter. It was January 28th, a consignment auction in Paris, Missouri, by my friends at Wheeler Auction and Real Estate. Again, you can't get a new one. They're sold out. So they had a 22 model Case H, 2160, 36 row, 20 inch, 3,600 acres on it, brought 366,000 bucks, highest auction price ever on a planter. And I'll leave you with air, you know, uh, 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 seat tenders which uh, has been pretty interesting. Now, how about this? Eight of the nine highest auction sale prices ever on seed tenders have come since December 7th, including the highest record price, 51K out of Oklahoma, Elk City, Oklahoma, on a 22-model Meridian 375 back on January 28th. So again, that the planning sector, you know, when the right used stuff shows up, it's just yeah. like, wow. Indeed, indeed. Well, and... Tis the season, I suppose. Uh, machinery Pete, Greg Peterson, thanks for your time today. We'll talk to you again next week, buddy. Sounds great, Davis. All right, we will be right back with more AgriTalk right after these words. To produce higher yields and greater value at harvest, timing is everything. Full Scale from Helena helps soybeans reach their full potential with breakthrough foliar nutrition and reproduction. Full Scale delivers beneficial plant extracts and micronutrients with the added efficiency of ENC formulation technology. It gives your soybeans every opportunity to grow strong returns this season. Contact your local ag retailer or Helena representative to learn more about Full Scale. Always read and follow label instructions and check registration status before use. From powering irrigation engines to warming buildings, propane has always been a part of American farm life. Now, you can be a part of propane's future and save money at the same time. The Propane Farm Incentive Program is a research initiative that provides farmers up to $5,000 towards the purchase of new propane-powered equipment. In exchange, participants share performance data to make tomorrow's ag operations more cost-effective, more efficient, and more environmentally friendly with propane. Getting started is simple. Visit propane.com slash farm incentive to see if you're eligible. Time for Markets Now with the experts from ProFarmer. And joining us now, Dan Vaught. Dan, good morning. Um, you know, corn and beans really did make a decent effort early in the session this morning to move higher, but we're under some pressure right now. What's going on here? Well, I think it's uh, just a bit part of a recent trend downward in these markets. So people are not particularly confident, I think, about the strength of demand at this point. Well, and uh, that that certainly would make sense, but at the same time, we've got wheat posting double-digit gains in the winter and the spring wheat contracts. Yeah, I find that pretty interesting, too. You kind of wonder if maybe there is some doubt creeping into the market about what this uh, Russian uh, uh, Black Sea uh, grain deal is going to be extended or not. The market mm-hmm. has generally believed it will, but maybe they're having second thoughts, and that's why wheat's up. They're going to extend that, aren't they? Don't you think? Would you speculate? Yeah, I think so. I, I think it's a done deal, essentially. The other thing that, that's helping wheat and, I guess, supporting uh, corn and beans is uh, weakness in the dollar. Dollar's down quite a bit this morning. Mm-hmm. 
Well, the uh, the livestocks don't seem to be responding the way one might expect with uh, a lower corn print. I've got fat cattle and feeder cattle under pressure to start the day. Yeah, that's pretty surprising given the uh, current strength of the uh, cash market in cattle. I think a lot of people have been pessimistic, apparently, about how long the seasonal rally is going to last here. A lot of years it ends in late March, but we're expecting it to last at least into late April. On the lean hog market this morning has been acting like it was a corn or a bean. It was, We were sort of mixed, narrowly mixed to open the session, but now we've come under pressure. Pro Farmer's Dan Vaught. Thanks, Dan. We'll talk to you again tomorrow. Have a great day. That's Dan you Vaught do. for Markets Now. Opinions expressed on AgriTalk do not necessarily reflect the views of Farm Journal Broadcasting, affiliate stations, or sponsors. Do you suffer from talking on the radio phobia? No problem. Send us a tweet at hashtag AgriTalk. Welcome back to AgriTalk, everyone, on your Monday morning. Once again, do not delay. Enter your bracket today. I really like that because it kind of rhymes. Uh, the 2023 Bracket Buster Challenge presented by the good folks at Case IH. First prize, $1,000. Second is 500. Third walks away with 250. Go to agweb.com right now. Fill out your bracket. Bracket Buster Challenge brought to you by Case IH. Let me bring in Alan Hoskins now from American Farm Mortgage. Mr. Hoskins, thank you for joining us this morning. Davis, thank you for the invitation. I really appreciate it. Yeah, well, it uh, we reached out. Well, gosh, was it was it clear last week? Um, mm-hmm. I knew that I wanted to talk to you anyway, and then <laughs> s- suddenly uh, the golden goose lays an egg here, and out of the sky comes some big news that has some people really disconcerted and a little bit confused about the banking industry in general. Uh, can you comment on what happened at Silicon Valley Bank? Just just one of a few last week that have had mm-hmm. some some major problems well you know davis first of all obviously i have no intimate knowledge of what occurred or led to what ended up happening Uh, the banking regulators are always looking to ensure the safety of the banking system is supported you go back to the 80s we saw a lot of bank closures you look at the bank closures that occurred uh, both friday and sunday those were uh, banks that certainly it would appear were lending in areas primarily other than agriculture and you know for that reason obviously you know i don't have any intimate knowledge but certainly i think it is a positive to know that we do have regulators that are ensuring the soundness of the banking system continues to be there so Mm -hmm. you know i think that's a case where Certainly, I see where there can be some consternation on the part of individuals, but I think there's also a positive in the respect that the regulators are working to ensure that the viability of the banking system is ongoing. Now, those regulators, um, they've announced that the government would ensure the deposits from that particular bank are good. Mm -hmm. Um, Depositors will have access to their money starting today. Banks insured by the FDIC will be required to pay a tax to fund the measure, uh, and yet we have assurances that the American taxpayer won't won't have to foot the bill on this. Is that is is there risk that if FDIC has to pony up, that that trickles down to guys like you and me? 
Well, <clears throat> Davis, the banking system, obviously, banks on an ongoing pay, basis pay in funds to the FDIC to ensure that there is a pool of funds available in the event such as this to make sure that insurance coverage levels advertised by the FDIC are supported. So there definitely is the cushion there to cover things, again, as FDIC coverage very clearly states. As far as the trickle down, I, I will use history as an example. You can go back to the 1980s and look at how even in a period of time where agriculture was going through arguably its most turbulent period in my lifetime, the banking system stayed as a part of rural America. Mm -hmm. And I would have no reason to believe that we would not see a, that continue. There can be instances where the assessments paid by financial institutions are increased based upon risk factors that are outstanding. So again, it tends to be more the federal government looks to the banking industry to make sure that that pool of funds is consistently solid. Well, and it can be easy for regular folk to look at a bank mm -hmm. as sort of a sacred institution. And I understand that there should be special protections involved there when, you know, I'm basically trusting this institution. I, I earn my money. I work hard for my pay. I take it there. I expect Ooh. it to be there when when I need it, when I want it. Um, mm -hmm. But is is there? A, do we need to maybe shift that? I mean, if if I have a if I open a restaurant and I run it poorly and I don't do the right things to make a a restaurant that's good that that people mm -hmm. can count on to have good food, the market's mm -hmm. going to put me out of business. It's just the way that it goes. You have a crappy restaurant, nobody's going to show up, and it it doesn't do anything for anyone, so it shuts down. Mm -hmm. Um, banks sometimes if we've got FDIC you know, backing them up and the federal government willing to, should we just let banks that don't do business very well shut down? Well, I think, Davis, if you look at the marketplace as a whole, the banks that don't do business traditionally in the correct mm -hmm. way, mm -hmm. those do disappear from the market. Granted, it is not typically in the form of an FDIC closure. It's more typically in the form of either assets or the institution being acquired by another banking organization that is better positioned to be able to serve that community. So I think we do see that occur. Obviously, if you look at the number of consolidations in banks over the years, we've seen the number of banks definitely on a downward trend. I would also note that if you look at the two institutions that have been in the news over the past weekend, and I believe I'm correct. I believe one was formed in 1983. One was formed in, I believe, 2001. Uh, those would be considered probably a little more younger banking institutions. If you look at rural America, at least, there, there tends to be a lot more, I believe, uh, institutions with age that are in the rural areas. So I would tell you that I think the marketplace does provide for banks that aren't serving their communities well to no longer be in business under their particular charter. Mm -hmm. It's just not typically in the form of a closure by FDIC. Okay. All right. That makes sense.
Um, let's move over to the to the rural side. Just speak broadly for us. What's the general condition of ag banking from your perspective? From the perspective that I have in the rural banks of which I'm aware, I believe there's still very much a solid base in rural America banking. We have seen, obviously, farm incomes continue to be strong over the past few years. And I think you have banks that are what I would refer to as predominantly ag banks tend to do a good job in understanding the individual risks that their customers have because they tend to be focused a little more on agriculture and perhaps have a little more intimate knowledge about their customers' business than maybe banks that are not ag banks. I'm certainly not saying anything negative toward non-ag banks, but I do believe there tends to be a little truth in that. And so from my perspective, Davis, and from at least the numbers that I see that are put out by various organizations relative to rural banks, there does tend to be strength in the rural bank economies at this point. Uh, well, that's that's good to hear. There was some concern over when farmers sat down to secure their operating loans for the upcoming season that the interest rate number would uh, be an mm-hmm. eye popper. Where mm-hmm. are we at there? Well, it certainly is an eye popper if you compare it with recent history. And when I say recent history, you go back over the past 10, 12, 15 years where due to what I would refer to as two black swan events, the first being the economic meltdown in 2008, the second being COVID in 2020, we've had unrealistically, in my opinion, low interest rates in comparison to what we've seen. For example, Prime was formed December 1, 1947. You compare it to that over that period of time. Yes, the rates that we saw during the most recent periods have been abnormally low. So without a doubt, we're seeing, as you said, eye-popping rates just simply because the benchmark that we've seen recently has been so low. Mm -hmm. People are, I think, for the most part, producers, for the most part, Davis, have kind of been prepared for these numbers because in the rural banking community, I think we've done a good job in preparing them for what rates might be. It it sounds like... uh... Well, and I don't know, with, with the banking problems um, that we saw last week, we were pretty sure before all this came up that there was, there was going to be a half basis point increase. Uh, a lot of people were, were betting on that anyway. What does the Fed do from here on rates, do you think? Does it change anything? Davis, that's a great question. I guess my opinion personally would be, I hope that we don't see an isolated event or what potentially is an isolated event Mm -hmm. change policy on a longer term basis. Mm -hmm. So do do I think it's something obviously the Fed looks at? I believe, of course, they do. You look at the size of the institutions that were the the subject of the communication over the weekend, they're sizable institutions, so it's worthy of them looking at it. However, I would hope that long-term policy isn't necessarily based totally on what we saw this weekend. Alan, I, I, uh, you're a very soothing 
conversation we've just had here. Uh, what I'm taking away from this is just take it easy, work the plan. Everything's going to be fine. Let's not let, like you said, isolated incidents throw us into a panic. Um, Alan, it's, it's been a great conversation. You've educated me, and I sure appreciate it. Have a great day, Alan. Thank you, Davis. I always appreciate the opportunity to come on the air and share. It's a privilege. Alan Hoskins from American Farm Mortgage. Coming up, we've got uh, Jim Wiesmeyer. Gosh, I feel calm. Yeah, that feels really good. Jim Wiesmeyer, we'll, we'll see what he's got for us today. AgriTalk, I'm in for Chip Flory. Davis Michelson here. So glad you've joined us. Stick around through, uh, through this quick break, and we'll have more. To produce higher yields and greater value at harvest, timing is everything. Full Scale from Helena helps soybeans reach their full potential with breakthrough foliar nutrition and reproduction. Full Scale delivers beneficial plant extracts and micronutrients with the added efficiency of ENC formulation technology. It gives your soybeans every opportunity to grow strong returns this season. Contact your local ag retailer or Helena representative to learn more about Full Scale. Always read and follow label instructions and check registration status before use. From powering irrigation engines to warming buildings, propane has always been a part of American farm life. Now, you can be a part of propane's future and save money at the same time. The Propane Farm Incentive Program is a research initiative that provides farmers up to $5,000 towards the purchase of new propane-powered equipment. In exchange, participants share performance data to make tomorrow's ag operations more cost-effective, more efficient, and more environmentally friendly with propane. Getting started is simple. Visit propane.com slash farm incentive to see if you're eligible. Knowledge is power. We're here to charge your batteries. Agritalk. Welcome back to AgriTalk, everyone. Davis Michelson here in for Chip Flory. We'll hear from Chip tomorrow morning from uh, Commodity Classic. He's got some stuff that he recorded there that uh, I know you're going to love. I can't wait for you to hear it. It's going to be awesome. Uh, stock market had a volatile week last week, ended lower overall. All three major indices registered losses for another week. The Dow, the NASDAQ, and the S&P all off, call it 4.5% on the week. This as the uh, the Fed continues to work to tame inflation. Let me bring in Pro Farmer Policy OG Jim Wiesmeyer. Jim, good morning, sir. Good morning, Davis. Before we talk about the Fed and I get you all aggravated, how's the leg? The leg is really good. Uh, very little, if any, pain. So I'm telling you, my surgeon must be a good one. I'm very pleased to hear that news. Um, now let's talk about pain. Is there enough pain in this economy that the Fed can ease up here, or are we looking at another half half basis point rise? Well, I don't know about the half basis, 25. Uh, yeah. uh, uh, I don't think this will change their overall design that we got to have a higher interest rate. You know, Goldman Sachs came out this morning with a big change saying there should be, uh, there likely will be no change in interest rates. That's, I think, a bit too much. Uh, bottom line, uh, I'll, I'll put the onus on the Fed, too. They, they should have realized some of these problems again. Mm. I think this is the worst Fed we've had in decades. You know, they just guaranteed $230 billion of uninsured deposits oh. at, at SFB Bank and, and Signature Bank. That's moral hazard as far as I'm concerned. I didn't know they were uninsured. Oh, there's insured and uninsured. But yes, the statement 
uh, wow. uh, what, what this morning or over the weekend said insured and uninsured. And boy, that caught my ear. Yeah. I don't like that at all. Uh, no. Meanwhile, in, in the uh, jobs market, service sector jobs are, uh, are pretty hot right now. Transport, warehousing, uh, not so much. It feels a little bit upside down, especially when you consider you've got more part-time jobs outpacing full-time jobs. Uh, some have called that a historical uh, recession indicator. Well, I think we'll eventually have a recession, but it's hard to, uh, hard, hard to pinpoint it right now. But uh, again, on the Fed, the inflation yep. rate is around 6%. The Fed funds usually rate, the Fed funds rate is usually two percentage points above the inflation rate. We've got a long ways to go, Davis. I hate mm-hmm. to be negative, but you know, th- this discussion and cuss, you know, discussion uh, as far as what the Fed or may or may not do, they have to they have to keep raising interest rates. Period. Well, your negativity would be suspect if if I knew that your leg was sore. But since you're feeling good, <laughs> I th- I feel like you're just giving us the the straight skinny here, and I appreciate that. Sure. Uh, in in Washington, the House Freedom Caucus issues an ultimatum. How much pull does the House Freedom Caucus have in a debt ceiling conversation? Well, they have a hammer hold of of sorts on the House Speaker, but I hope he works with uh, both moderates in both political parties because it uh, the the Freedom Caucus will lead the Republican Party uh, to defeat in 2024 if you have across the board huge uh, cuts in 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 spending uh, because they want to uh, not uh, cut uh, defense, Medicare, etc. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, they've done it before. If they do it again, uh, the Democrats will win that battle again. Well, there's a lot in here the the progressive doesn't isn't going to like uh, clawbacks on federal spending, climate, IRS, the end of this President Biden's uh, with a student loan relief plan. Um, it just sort of feels like an exercise in opposites. Uh, yes, it does. Uh, so we need the grown-ups to get into the room and just say, uh, don't put anything off the table, by the way. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, this thing is going to take a number of years to chew through. But it's going to get into the farm bill debate, because if you get into the need to need additional funding, which the farm bill does, this is very bad timing, Davis. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, speaking of timing, I'm going to throw this in here at this time right quick. Um, signal to noise will continue with the shakeup in uh, Chip's schedule. He's run off to Florida is what he's done. He and the missus have decided, you know what, we're, we're going we're gonna to bask in the sun for a while, and that's great. Much deserved time off. Signal to noise continues 12 noon central time. Um, Farm Journal YouTube page, the Facebook page, and AgriTalk Facebook page, signal to noise Continues 12 noon Central Time with uh, with our very own Jim Weissmeyer. Um, with that, maybe I'm maybe I'm asking you for a preview here. What what's up in D.C. this week? What are you going to be watching? Well, we have the uh, CPI uh, index tomorrow. The producer price index Wednesday. We have Secretary Vilsack in front of the Senate Ag Committee on Thursday. So he'll talk farm bill and all 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 sorts of things. So you know, pretty good week. Did. It's too soon to tell. You don't know the answer to this question. Are we going to get a farm bill this year? I think out of the Senate, you will. It may take until early next year for the House, but uh, I think the will 
is there. But, you know, if you listen to Vilsack over the last week and in Commodity Classic and at the pork producers, he wants to transform the uh, ag sector by focusing mm -hmm. on the the majority of farmers, not those productive uh, farmers. So, yeah. uh, you know, he, he's going to learn once again that the Congress writes the farm bill and uh, he doesn't. And I think that'll come through clear Thursday. President Xi Jinping headed to Russia to meet with Vladimir Putin. How big a stick are we going to shake at Xi Jinping if it comes out that uh, they're, yeah, they're going to help out Russia with some weapons? It'll be more sanctions and it'll start hurting. And then uh, you'll just ratchet up the uh, the ill will between uh, uh, China and, and the U.S. So the trend there is not your friend. Um, could we see sanctions aimed at China, perhaps, in response? Oh, absolutely. They, yeah. They'd almost force to. Absolutely. You, there's a bipartisan uh, uh, agreement that in Washington, both political parties to go after China if they can confirm that. What's that weird store that I can never remember the name of that you shop at there in D.C.? It's like Harris Teeter. Harris Teeter. That's it. That's a Kroger Harris, store. Harris Teeter. Very good. I just I had to know while I had you here on the air. How are the price of eggs in D.C.? Real quick. Have you bought eggs uh, lately? That I have bought eggs uh, lately, but I just don't. I just buy them. Yeah, yeah. You that's know? kind of what it I do, It is what it is. Yeah. It is. You got to have, have a philosophical debate on uh, how, <laughs> how, how much lower they should be. I just buy them and eat them. Signal to Noise, live at noon central today. Facebook you page, uh, YouTube page, uh, Farm Journal Facebook page, and AgriTalk. We've got Phil Conrad from Tradus LLC. This afternoon and tomorrow morning, Chip's got coverage of Commodity Classic. Thanks for tuning in to AgriTalk.